We're in the book of Ephesians, and uh, my name is Steve Doucette. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I get to teach today, which is a privilege for me. If you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, and we will continue on in our series. I'll let you have a moment to get there. I'm excited about today's teaching, just so you know. You might catch that later on, but I'm very excited. We're going to walk through and see Paul's ministry as it unfolds, see him reveal a mystery. Uh, this mystery is talked about um, seven times in the book of Ephesians. It's mentioned once in chapter one, four times in the chapter we're in, chapter three right now, and then it's mentioned one time in chapter five, one time again in chapter six, which is the last chapter of Ephesians. And this mystery will be unfolding it a little more today, but we know from last week that it concerns the Jews and the Gentiles coming together. So we learned that last week. He's going to teach a little bit more on that. But before I get into that, let's go ahead and pray. Join me, please. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to gather together as your church, as your people. We thank you, Lord, that we can open up your word and we can glean from it. We can learn. We can be encouraged. We can be challenged. Uh, we can allow it, Lord, if we so choose to shape our lives. I pray that for all that have come in this room with burdens on their mind, with trials maybe that they're going through, with the busyness of life, that they would be able to put that aside, Lord, and listen intently to what your word would have for them this morning. That this would just be a time of fellowship with you through your word. And that, God, you would just grow your church. That's our prayer today. So thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Verse 1 says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then there's a long dash in most Bibles. That long dash means that he's pausing his thought and he'll pick it back up again in verse 14. This is actually the beginning of a prayer for the Gentiles that Paul is starting, but then he's kind of getting sidetracked. He's gonna go back to talk about what he just talked about in chapter two and kind of seal that up, if you will, before he gets into the prayer, which starts at verse 14. But I want you to notice a couple of things just about this single passage. For one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of the Roman guard. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner under the Jewish law. He says I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And you have to understand that's because Paul understood his standing with Christ. That no matter where Paul was, he was under Christ. It didn't matter if he was in prison. It didn't matter if he was out on a ship. It didn't matter if he was in the middle of a synagogue. It didn't matter if he was in the middle of the pro-council. It didn't matter where he was. He was a prisoner of Christ. Christ ruled his life. We know that because he says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. He also said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, he had a firm understanding of this call and his place in the body. 
And he never shied away from that, no matter what the circumstances were that he might find himself in the middle of. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. I mean, I look up to a man like Paul, a man that was walking in one direction and radically turned around to the Lord and started serving him and would serve him all the way up to his death. He knew his place, and that was under the authority of Christ. No matter what other authority might come upon him, ultimately under Christ. And then he says this, on behalf of you Gentiles, which really calls out his ministry. The the Lord put the ministry of him preaching to the Gentiles. That was his main ministry. And he's claiming that right here in verse 1. And then we move on. Verses 2 and 3. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That you points back up to the Gentiles in verse one. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. That revelation he's referring to there is pointing back to chapter two, starting at verse 11 and all the way to the end of the chapter. He's referring back to that, that great revelation of the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together, the dividing wall being taken away, and now their heirs, fellow heirs together in God's family. And he says that mystery, you might want to circle it, a mystery was made known to me by revelation. In Galatians 1, it says this. This is Paul speaking, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was spoken to by the Lord. Paul was given this revelation straight by the Lord. And this mystery God made known to him in a very mysterious way, that that word mystery, you know what it means. It means that you have a partial glimpse of something, but you completely don't understand what it means, what it is, what might happen. You know there's something there. You have an expectation because of something you heard, of something that's coming, but you don't know exactly when or how it will arrive or what are the things that will usher it in. And this is the first time we see that word in this chapter. Paul was a steward of God's grace. A steward is someone who takes care of someone's property or their possessions. That's what a steward does. And Paul says, I'm a steward of God's grace to you Gentiles. I preach to you about God's grace. I speak to you about the truths of the Lord. I'm a steward. I hold all these things and I take care of them and dispense them to you willingly because that's the ministry that the Lord has called me to. It's a beautiful picture of Paul's ministry. The first time that the word mystery is used is in Ephesians 1, the first chapter. And we'll put that up on the screen, starting at verse 7. And this is what it says about the mystery. It says, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This mystery is about reconciliation. This mystery is about bringing all things together. This mystery is his will, God's will, and his purpose in Christ. This mystery is all wrapped up in the message of the gospel. The life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verses 4, he says... When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you write in your Bibles, I would underline through the gospel. Through the gospel, the means that this happens, the thing that was being pointed to, the thing that was a mystery to the sons of men in other generations, it was not known to them. We think of a promise like to Abraham, right? That he would be a blessing to all nations. You could say, okay, God, I understand what that means, but how is that to take place? How is that to come about? God, Israel's your chosen people. How is Israel, your chosen people, gonna somehow bless others? What does that look like? How full will that blessing be? What does that word blessing even mean in that context? The mystery wasn't made fully known. I'm reminded of 1 Peter, which we'll put also on the screen. Chapter one, verses 10 to 12. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news or the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Remember that. Things into which angels long to look. You see, it's through the gospel, Paul says in chapter four. The gospel is what breaks the barrier. The gospel is what brings people together. The gospel was what they were looking forward to. The gospel brings about salvation. And these writers of old are wondering when the salvation is going to come and who will it come through. And it was a mystery back then, but now it's being revealed. He again points back 
in the same passage, and he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Again, pointing back to chapter two, kind of summarizing and closing up what he had already said. So those things I told you in chapter two, he's saying, that's a mystery. Now we get to our passage. That's a backdrop that leads us up to verses 7 through 10. Read with me. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now remember, no word is put in scripture by accident. Every word has a meaning. Whether it's a tense of a verb when something happens or how something happens, every word has meaning. They're very, very carefully placed in the word of God. And of this gospel, I was made a minister means he was not choosing it of himself, but instead God chose him to do precisely that. Acts 26 says this. Paul recounts his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus that you read about in Acts chapter 9. And as he's recounting that time that he met Jesus, he says that Jesus said this, 26 verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He was appointed. Paul says, he says, but rise and stand upon your feet for this purpose to I appointed you to minister to the Gentiles. This very thing is what I'm calling and putting on your life, Paul. And the cool thing is Paul was obedient to that call all the way to the end. So here's a question from that. What is the call that God has placed on your life? I mean, if you think back and you came to faith, if, if you are indeed of faith, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you've surrendered your will to his will, what did you surrender to? What was that call? What does it look like? What are your gifts? How, how do you point people to the Lord? How do you graciously tell them about the glories of Christ? 
How often do you think about what that call might be on your life? You see, I think it's a very important question that we ask ourselves. Okay, God, what would you have me do for your glory? Paul's the one who would say in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. Right? It's like, so God, what was that? When you called me, you called me with a purpose. You have a purpose. You have people within my sphere of influence. You, you get maybe a family. You get this family around me. And you got my neighbors and you got coworkers. And God, you placed me in a church. And what specifically is this call that you placed on my life? And some of you might not even know what that is. And maybe really never even thought about it or contemplated it. And if that's the case, maybe you just try different ministries and different things within the church and outside of the church, plugging yourself in to see if indeed that's where you're gifted and the Lord has called you to be faithful to him and the call that he placed on your life. You remember chapter four, Paul's gonna say, therefore walk in a way that's worthy of the call that's been placed on you. The very beginning of the next chapter. How do you walk worthy? What is that call that he's placed on you? Where's the change? How can you benefit the kingdom? And believe me, this isn't a down thing. This is an encouraging thing. Because when you're working within your giftedness, when you're working like in the things that God gifts you with and you're working in that realm, if you will, or serving in that realm, there's more joy than you could ever have doing anything else. Amen? You've been there, right? And he says in verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. That's not false humility. Paul considered himself the very least of all the saints. The word saint just means set apart. It's those that are in the body of Christ, those that have been saved are all saints. We're, we're all saints if we're in the body of Christ. And he's saying, I'm less than the least. I'm less than the most less. It's like the statement that I'm, I'm littler than the littlest. Paul understood from where he came. Look at 1 Timothy 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He understood from where he came. When he said, I am the least of the least, he, he's saying, that's how I really feel about myself. I mean, you imagine a guy that used to persecute the church coming to faith? I mean, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to get papers signed so he could continue persecuting the church, so he could continue pulling people out of their homes. And that's when he met Jesus. This bright light, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because his former name was Saul. 
And everything changed at that point. And even though he, even though he considered himself the least, he still moved forward in the ministry that the Lord had given him. And he still never tired of that ministry. He never let it be an excuse to quit doing what the Lord had called him to do. Oh, if we could say that about ourselves, right? Sometimes aren't we our worst enemies? Sometimes, oh, God couldn't really love me because of my past. You really don't know what went on. You don't know certain things about me. God can't use me in that way. Do you believe that? That's a lie from the enemy, right? Look at Paul's life. A man that would persecute the church, that would be there when the first uh, person was actually martyred for their faith, Stephen. And he would be the one that would stand there overseeing that actually happening. And yet the Lord had a plan for his life. We must not use an excuse of our past or who we used to be when we come to faith. We let go of the things that are behind and look forward to the things that are ahead. And we trust the Lord and put a call on our life with his purpose and we walk faithfully in that. He goes on. And he says, on the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Again, underline. This is such a rich passage. The unsearchable riches of Christ. This reminded me of Colossians chapter 1. And I just want to read it. I didn't want to put it on the screen. I just want you to listen. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul says the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Colossians, that's how he describes the preeminence of Christ. Do you often think about the unsearchable riches of Christ? That he loved you so much he left heaven to come down and walk on this earth. That he didn't come as a king, but he came as a baby in a manger. That he would leave everything he had and he could come in any form, but with humility took on the form of one of us. And then he walked on this earth to show us what it looked like to live a sinless life, to show love, to show mercy, to show grace, to care for others. He came speaking the truth because he was truth. 
He had the very words of life. Ever think about the unsearchable riches of Christ? The riches that are so deep that you can never fully get to the bottom of it. If you study for your whole life till the day he takes you home, you'll still learn more and more and more about him. The grace that is so wide that you can't possibly see one side from the other. That it's just so other than. That it just engulfs you. This man's in prison, he's chained to a guard, he's writing a letter, and he's talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ because that's where everything flowed from him. That's what changes us. You see, I'm so worried about the church today because the church is, in a lot of places, is just looking for experience. Oh, I gotta see something special. I gotta see something supernatural or I gotta feel something supernatural. Well, wait a minute. Do you know the supernatural truth about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Isn't that enough? Have you spent time digging into the riches of Christ? Do you know you have everything needed for salvation, for your walk with him? It's all there in the word of God. That's all God breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16, so that the man or woman of the Lord is thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says we go through scripture and we're reading it. We're, We're bringing about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That this mystery that was pointed to was the gospel. It was salvation. It was faith. In Jesus Christ himself, in his life and death and resurrection, and it was pointing to this one that would come, that would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, this one that would come that would be the savior of the world. Now he's come, and now he's preached, and now he's known. And Paul, through his faithfulness, is sharing this with us, trying to get us just drawn into the depth of these riches of Christ. So Paul was to preach these unsearchable riches and to bring light. I want you to recognize that word light. It's illuminate. It's, it's what we talked about the last time I preached. It's this light that when Paul goes somewhere because of Christ in him and everything he speaks of that's in the Lord, it's bringing to light the reality of who Jesus is. It's illuminating truth where he goes. He's illuminating truth to the Gentiles, to the people. And he goes on, for, the, for everyone this light. And he says, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Through the church. Listen, If you want to be encouraged, be encouraged that you're sitting in this room right now. Be encouraged that you're you're part of a family, a body of Christ. Church just means, there's a word, ecclesia, it just means gathered ones, right? An assembly, an assembly of people. And the church points to an assembly of those who follow God. So it's not the building, it's not 379 Science Drive, it's not any building, it's the gathered people of God. 
And this mystery is supposed to be made known through the people of God. The question is, how do you view church? I do classes on membership, and when I teach on membership, I, I try to break down like the purpose of the church into three words. And the three words are save, equip, and send. Right? Save, equip, send. So the church, that's the purpose of the church. Um, our vision statement, as of our last elders meeting uh, that we did, we talked about that more would come to faith in Christ. That more would come to faith in Christ. That was kind of our vision, if you would. For Moore Park, Thousand Oaks, all the surrounding communities, see me, Fillmore, and beyond. That more would come to faith in Christ. That's saving. So Paul says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Right? He knows that he doesn't do the saving. He, he doesn't change a man's heart or a woman's heart. That that saving actually is done by the Holy Spirit. God opens your eyes to his truth. And as he opens your eyes to his truth, his word starts convicting. And as his word convicts, he can change your heart and you can put your faith and trust in him and you can be saved. One aspect of the church. People come through the door. They don't know the first thing about uh, Christianity. They hear the word of God. The word of God convicts them, changes them, and they come to faith. They're saved. Second, equip. Right? Ephesians 4. The church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So now that you come to faith, now that you're saved, you need to be built up. And that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So we equip by reading the word, by having classes and different um, things that we do in the church, like even teaching biblical counseling and how to study the Bible and uh, having Sunday services so that you would be equipped in the truth, in what God's word says. Another very important function of the church, save, equip. The next one is send, to send out. So that once you're saved and once you're equipped, well, you've got to do something with that equipping and you need to be a blessing to others, so we send you. And it would be really cool to see our church plant another church, send out a pastor that would go and families go with him and start a work somewhere else. But we have missionaries. We had one here this morning that came from Indonesia and he's back here for a month visiting with his family, Luke, and he was here with his family. Um, that's one way of sending, Right? Planning a church are two ways, or sending across the globe to another area. But it's not just that. The sending is actually going to wherever you're at and being fruitful. So maybe it's just the neighbor across the street. Maybe it's a coworker that you work with. Maybe it's someone in your school. But sending is just being equipped and ready to share the gospel, to be a blessing and the light to someone else. And we hope that we equip you to do that, that you don't have to go all the way around the world, though we would be excited if someone all the way around the world, and it's great to put people around the world, but understanding no matter where you go. When you leave here, you're sent out. You'll be sent back to your home, you're gonna be sent to a restaurant, you're gonna go somewhere. So save, equip, and send. How do you view the church? Just think in your own mind. Our culture in this day a lot view the church as 
entertainment where we're going to go and there's going to be a certain amount of time for maybe music and there's going to be a certain amount of time for a lesson and, and you know, I come and it's consumer viewed. So it's not what I give, it's really what I get. And sometimes with that mentality, you have a lot of complaining. So you have people complaining about maybe the music or you have people complaining about the message or you have people complaining about the facility or, or whatever else might be going on. How do you view the church? How do you view your place in the church? Scripture views it as a body, that we're all part of this body with all these fingers and ligaments and joints and eyes and ears and all the different giftings, and we all work together. And if you were to take one of them away, no matter what it was, because not one is more insignificant than the other, or more significant than the other. If you take one away, the whole church body is affected. Do you see yourself that way in the church? Do you see yourself as an important part of the body? Well, look what he says at the end of verse 10. He says that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and authorities in heavenly places are actually angels. What this is actually saying is angels, both bad angels and good angels, look down on what's going on in the church. In 1 Peter, I told you to remember the last sentence. And the last sentence in 1 Peter, verse 12, says this. Things into which angels long look. About this salvation that was talked about that was coming in the future. We don't know quite why we're writing it or who we're writing it to. But we know that the angels long look into it. They gaze upon this salvation. Did you know that the church actually has angels watching it? That they're actually waiting to see how we do. Can you imagine what happens when one person is baptized and those waters are just moving? You imagine all the angels of God are up there, they're cheering away. They're saying, yes, well done, church. Well done. Keep it up. Keep it going. And you imagine what the angels of the devil are saying. Oh, no. What are we going to do to thwart that plan? How are we going to get in the middle of that? How are we going to stop that from going on? I think it's amazing that... These rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are actually gazing down at what's going on in the church. How do you feel about your place in the church? Do you feel like you have a part in that? Does it excite you to think that you're part of the body? Do you look at people next to you and say, oh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you rejoice in fellowship often with other believers? You know, there was a time that I was really discouraged with the church. 
And it was, a while, it was a while back, and I was discouraged because I felt like the church was kind of just looking always for something new. They weren't satisfied with these unsearchable truths of Christ. It seemed like they always wanted a new event, something new, like they had to come up with something else, that it wasn't quite enough, just the message of salvation in the gospel. And I was discouraged. It was a long period of my life. But then I visited some other churches. And this is a church in Zimbabwe. This is actually a bunch of leaders from different churches that just came, and all they wanted to do was hear the word of God. They wanted to be taught. I mean, they were so intent in just learning and bringing back to their congregations. And then next slide. And this is a family that's being ministered to by the church, brought in to the body of Christ, brought in to the family of God. Next slide. This is Nepal. So this is in Kathmandu. This is the outside of a church. They literally drink out of that well. That's their water. And uh, I just wanted to show you the outside. You can see the sign. That's actually a church of someone we know, and then the inside of the church. You see, it's not about the building. It's not about the facility. It's about those people that are gathering around after one of our teachings. Now, these are different leaders and pastors from different congregations around that spend a, a, a time, quite a bit of time, to come down and just be taught. It's about them digging in. And here's a family that they minister to. This is in a brickyard. So they actually make those bricks that make their home. That's their home that's in back of them. And you can see by his hands and her hands, they spend all day long, as long as the sun is up, just making bricks, making bricks, making bricks, just to make a buy. But the church is ministering to them. And the church is bringing them in to the fold. This is in Rwanda. Again, people coming from all over the place just to be taught and then a household that's being ministered to by the church. Here's a church we got to go in, pastors on the left. And you can see, look how he sits, like right next to the person. It's not like it's an uncomfortable thing, like uh, you're different than we are, you're separate than we are. It's just a thing of love, of grace, of the church. So when I started having these experiences of going out and being with people who were literally, I would say, like Paul, like in love with people, in love with the Lord first and foremost, but that came out in how they just ministered in their areas. It just changed everything for me. It's all right, all right Lord, with complete humility, I have a place in your body. With complete humility, Lord, you called me for a purpose, and I want to be faithful, whatever that might be. God, I want to build your church up. I want people to be excited about their place, their role, their giftedness within the body. I want them to see that the church is actually them. <laughs> it's about them. It's the gathered ones. That the mystery that you have is the bringing together all things underneath you, Gentile and Jew, but everyone, right? No more slave, no more free, no more man or woman, but all are one under Christ that put their faith and trust in him. 
I want your ministry to be proclaimed. I want, I want Christ to be searched so deeply that people are changed to their very core. You know, when I came to faith, I'll tell you something, changed. I have a past, a past I'm not, I'm not proud of by any means. And when I came to the Lord, he changed me. And I will never turn back. It's like Peter saying, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of life. In you is truth. In you is eternity. In you is purpose. In you is joy. I will never turn back. And see, I want the church excited about that call that was placed on their life, thinking back to the purpose that God has you as part of this body, his ministry, just ministering to others and proclaiming, showing the beautiful colors of the Lord and all the mystery that's there, the truth of the gospel being proclaimed that can change a life and bring them into this body of faith. Amen. Paul ends with verses 11 through 13. And he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You say, how in the world can they be that, that be our glory, Paul, your suffering? How in the world can that benefit us? How can your suffering and being in prison do anything positive for us, Paul? Well, look what he says in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, he understood that his circumstances actually could propel the gospel. That if he showed this confidence that he had in Christ, that if he hung on tight to the call that was on his life, that if he kept ministering, even if he was chained to a guard, that he would keep witnessing and talking about the gospel, the good news of Christ, that it would catch on and that people would start doing it all over and the church would grow and the church would be a beacon of light to the lost world. It's true. Because of Christ, we have access. It's true that through Christ, you can have eternal life. You can have purpose. You can have hope. It's true. The church is part of the declaration of this glorious mystery that must go out. The question is, how are we going to be at doing it? I'm going to ask our worship team, they're going to come up and close us out with a song. And I want to pray that we would do it well. There's so many things that this church is known for. We're known for being loving and welcoming 
I mean, if you walk in our lobby or even through the parking lot, we are a people that something must be different in them because of the love and the grace that they show to others. Praise the Lord. We have people that faithfully come every Sunday to be under God's teaching and to learn and to put into practice the things that are taught. Praise the Lord. But we pray that we could do more and more, do we not? We pray that our light could be brighter and brighter, that each one of us individually could look at that call that's been placed on our life and figure out what it is and how we can walk in that calling together with one another in this place as a church, but also as we go and are sent away so that God would receive the glory. Paul says, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. May that be our motto in this church, amen? So what I'm gonna do is pray for us. But then we have prayer teams that go up against the wall. And often we don't have a lot of people that go up for prayer with them. But today, I'm gonna ask of you that you would be bold and go pray for our church. That you would pray for everything that goes on in this place, the gathering, the outside, the trip that's on its way right now to Mexico, the life groups, the studies, the discipleship, the ministry that takes place one-on-one in homes. I would ask that you pray for that. Pray for the people. And then secondly, some of you, go and pray for the church around the world. Because there's a bigger reality. There's a a global church, right? All God's people everywhere around the world. And some of them sit in seclusion. Some of them don't have fellow believers close by that can minister to them. Some of them don't have that privilege. So let's pray for them today. But I ask you very earnestly that you would take some time and pray for those very things. And just see what the Lord does with that in your own heart. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for your word today and Lord, we thank you for the mystery that was revealed through Paul. That God, through the annals of time that you had this plan that would go forth, this new covenant plan, this plan of salvation, making people right before a holy, majestic God. And Lord, even though the people of old didn't see it quite clearly, they knew something was coming. And now for us, the church has been revealed. This mystery is the coming together, the building up of the church, the one stone on top of another, the house of the Holy Spirit, all proclaiming the glories of Christ. The mystery of salvation that can be had through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Lord, I pray for our faith as a church, for those who believe that you would strengthen us, that we would look to that calling that's placed on us, that we would be faithful to to step out and be uncomfortable and figure out what it is so that you're honored and you're glorified. That we'd be encouraged by the life of Paul, though, even though he's imprisoned, that, Lord, he would step out in faith and write even more vigorously, Lord, and challenge us even more fully to be faithful in our walks. May we be those same people 
to challenge one another. And God, we do it all for your glory. So we pray for our church here. Lord, strengthen us and grow us. Grow us closer together with this unity that's talked about. Give us more of a love for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and help us to love the lost. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus, I pray they would talk to someone today, that today would be a day of salvation. And we would give you all the glory, Lord. Bless the offering that will be passed. And again, may it go towards your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.